My name is Jeannie Stevens. I am one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and I'm so glad you are with us today. You know, each week, it is so fun to see where people are tuning in from. So I would love for you to let us know in the comments where you are watching from. And we are in our final week of a series called Whole and Holy. And I am so hopeful about what God has for us today. And I can honestly say that understanding what we are talking about today has literally changed my life. It's changed my relationships, and I am praying it will transform yours. So to begin, I actually would love to invite you to pray with me. And so Jesus, I pray that you would do immeasurably more today that you would set us free emotionally. And we trust that you are moving in our midst. And we pray this in your name, amen. Well, the fluorescent bulb flickered above me like a lightning bug dancing through a sweltering summer night, never fully on and never fully off, just flickering. And while I may have been physically alone in the hospital waiting room, I felt emotionally crowded. Fear and worry and hope and confusion. They all held vigil with me as my seven-year-old daughter was wheeled away to have her body scanned in the hopes that they could figure out how to remove the rare and life-threatening infection that had formed. And like the blinking overhead light, my emotions just popped around in a container of my body like currents of electricity, bolting back and forth. It's one of the clearest memories in my life of feeling emotionally out of control. I was flooded with feelings. I was, in fact, emotion-full. And thank God, because hours after that scan, Gigi was rushed into an emergency surgery and after a week in the ICU, we celebrated Thanksgiving in a stale but sacred pediatric waiting room. And I can honestly say it was the most delicious turkey and pumpkin pie I have ever had. We eventually brought our daughter home and Gigi regularly reminds us that she truly is one in a million because she survived bacterial tracheitis, which is a rare infectious disease. And I will never forget that night. It is seared into my emotional anatomy. If I were to walk into that waiting room today, I am certain the ingrained emotions of that experience would float right back to my surface. And I imagine you have probably had moments throughout your life where you have had similar emotion-full experiences, where the feelings within you felt like an electrical current playing dodgeball in the container of your being. And what I wanna talk about today is feelings. And your feelings have everything to do with you being whole and holy. But feelings are honestly one of the most complex and confusing parts of life and relationships. If you've ever been in a Soul City small group, you know that we often use the acronym SACHET to help us check in with one another when it comes to our emotions. And SACHET stands for sad, angry, scared, 
happy, excited, and tender. And sachet is kind of like the six pack of Crayola crayons. And a number of years ago, I actually came across what is known as the feeling wheel. And the feeling wheel is like the jumbo set of 78 colors for your emotions. And I'm sure just looking at it, it is no wonder why feelings can be so confusing. Why so many of us have, have developed patterns to fight and to flight or to freeze when we experience any kind of stress or tension emotionally. And this wheel reveals that there is a lot going on inside of us. And because of the complexity of all of these 78 feelings and so many more concoctions and combinations, most of us, when we experience someone on the feeling wheel in a territory that we feel uncomfortable with, before we fight, flight, or freeze, many of us add something else into the mix. We actually try to fix it. You see, humans somehow believe that we can fix feelings. In fact, I would love for you to kind of give a show of hands in the comments. How many of you have been with someone that has been sad and you wanted to make them not feel sad anymore? It's a totally natural feeling. How many of you have been with someone who was mad and you wanted to help them not be mad anymore, especially if they were mad at you. This is a very normal experience for us. We want to fix what feels complicated, don't we? I think it's because we have identified some feelings as good feelings and other feelings as bad feelings. But what if our feelings are actually neutral? And they aren't looking to be fixed, but instead they're just looking for some healthy space to be felt. None of the 78 emotions are looking for answers. They're not looking to be fixed or rescued. They're just looking for some healthy space. You see, emotions don't need to be given answers. They need to be given space. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Jarrett brought out a soapbox during his message. And while we were watching the service together with our kids, they said, what is a soapbox? And we said, you know, here's the thing. Years ago, like many years ago, before your parents were born, because your parents are young and hip and vibrant, people that were passionate and wanted to make a point to a large group of people, they would pull out a wooden box that soap was in and they'd stand on it and thus the name Soapbox was formed. And without skipping a beat, one of our kids said, well, I think we might need one of those because there are some very passionate people in this family. So lo and behold, we might be investing in a Team Stevens Soapbox. But when I saw Jarrett on his Soapbox, I thought, I am going to need to borrow that because I have some soapbox thoughts myself when it comes to the relationship between our feelings and our faith. So I borrowed his soapbox. I've got it here. I'm going to get it nice and secure. Step up on it. So this feels good up here. All right. So here's what I want to say about feelings. For far too long, there has been a disconnect on faith and feelings. 
You see, over the years, there are actually parts of the church that have offered some very poor theology and destructive teaching when it comes to how Christians need to handle their emotions. I have heard facts are greater than feelings, that facts are the only reliable source to guide our faith. I have heard following our emotions will lead us to sin. I have heard that in order to live a godly life, we must get control over our emotions. And somehow parts of the church have sent out a subtle belief that emotions are unreliable, dangerous, and bad. That somehow logic and reason are superior and feelings are trivial and should be suppressed or ignored. That we should just stifle what we feel in favor of what we think. And I want to say that is simply not true. None of that teaching holds up to good biblical interpretation or sound systematic theology. It goes against a scientific, physiological understanding of who we are as human beings. And what breaks my heart is that some have even left the church because of this kind of teaching and have walked away from God because they couldn't reconcile why they were experiencing certain motions that they were told they should not have. And sadly, many people have bought the lie That faith is simply believing in the word of God and acting upon it no matter what or how you feel. And unfortunately, so many have unconsciously learned to repress their emotions in the name of faith. And I am here to say that walking by faith is the exact opposite in my life. In fact, Walking by faith has led to all the feels in my life, from excitement to fear to sadness to joy and so much more. And I am tired of people describing one another as emotional in a derogatory way. Many people know this about me, um, that if you are with me, I do not allow the words, I'm sorry, to be spoken when someone cries in my presence, as if the shedding of tears is some kind of action that requires an apology. Okay, I really miss the amens and the hallelujahs from our church. We might need to uh, get rid of this box, otherwise I might find a way to keep using it. So that is my only soapbox thoughts for this moment. You know, the last thing that I I wanna do is be critical or throw any shade. I simply want to pull the curtain back in the most loving way I know how. It is impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. To be healthy and whole will require you to be emotionally aware. A transforming relationship with Jesus requires all of you. It requires your heart. It requires your mind. It requires your body. And it requires your soul. And you know, there are so many incredible examples of men and women throughout the scriptures that found a way to be emotion full. You can see it in the deep desperation of Sarah. 
You can feel it in the grieving pain of Ruth and Naomi, the excitement and the calling in Peter, the guilty sadness of the rich young ruler. And for just a moment, I want to look at a powerful display of emotion in an extremely complicated and emotionally charged story. We're actually going to look at the story of Joseph. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Genesis in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at three verses, but I want to give you a little bit of backstory before we do. Now, Joseph's story is filled with all kinds of troubling twists. Uh, he was one of Jacob's 12 sons, and the Bible tells us that he was his father's favorite. And so his brothers were, of course, filled with envy and jealousy. So instead of dealing with their emotions in a healthy way, they conspired together to kill Joseph. Now, right as they were about to go through with it, there was this last-minute plot twist, and they instead decide to make some extra coin by selling him into slavery. So Joseph is purchased, he's taken to a foreign land, eventually he's thrown into prison. Now, I literally just gave you six sentences to the backstory. Six sentences of context, and I imagine you can feel the emotions in this story. There's jealousy. There's hatred. There's envy and isolation. There's confusion. And all of that and so much more is going on in the midst of this story. Now, somehow in prison, Joseph overcomes great obstacles and begins to interpret dreams for the king. He gains some notoriety, and that leads to his freedom. And he rises to power in Egypt, where the king grants him favor and gives him a position of power. Now, the story could have ended there. The painful events from his past could have been overshadowed by his later successes. He could have literally tried to bury all that pain away, just push it down and repress it until it no longer lived on the top of his heart. But if you know the story of Joseph. You know that, that Joseph's brothers eventually traveled to Egypt in search of food, forcing the emotional plot of Joseph's life to the surface. Now when Joseph is finally reunited with his brothers, this is what it says in Genesis 45, 1 and 2. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph could not contain his emotion. In fact, if you jump down a few more verses, it says in verse Genesis 45, 14, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. The emotion continues and carries through the remainder of the story. And in the ultimate reunion between Joseph and his father, it says in Genesis 46, 29, as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. What I love about Joseph's story is that it, it doesn't leave us wondering about the emotional impact of the experiences Joseph faced throughout his life. Joseph's 
tears literally weave together his past pain with his present emotional posture. His weeping is an acknowledgement of the torment that he endured. His cries reveal that something profound happened and it is still affecting him. But what we see in Joseph's life is that instead of repressing his feelings, he found a healthy way to release them. Joseph actually allowed his emotion to have motion. Now, I like to describe emotion as energy in motion. E-motion, energy in motion. And when our emotional buttons are pushed a surge of energy starts moving throughout the body. You've probably seen this, and I bet you've even experienced it. Maybe you watched uh, The Last Dance. I I know that was something we loved watching together in our family. And every time the bulls won that ring, we saw energy in motion. They jumped up and down and hugged one another, screaming and shouting and spraying champagne all over the locker room. Or think about maybe when someone is shocked by something. The energy in motion causes them to put their hands over their face and they widen their eyes. Or think about when someone experiences a painful loss. The energy in motion inside of their body produces tears to release the sadness. And you know, you can actually go back through the story of Joseph and you can see the emotion, the energy in motion. The emotional buttons in Joseph's life were pushed. You can see when, when you look into the story and, and happiness was pushed. When Joseph was deemed the favorite from his father, you can actually see when jealousy was pushed. When his brothers realized that they were not the favorite. You can see when fear, when when he was scared, when that emotional button got pushed and he was sold to be a slave and taken to a foreign land. You can actually see when loneliness got pushed in his life, when he was in prison feeling forgotten. And you can probably even feel when excitement was pushed when he was recognized for his gifts and he was given a position of leadership. And I could go on and on, but what is important to understand about our emotions is that every time an emotional button is pushed, the only thing that that emotion is looking for is to be released in a healthy way. And the problem is that many of us have learned to do the opposite. Instead of releasing emotions, we repress them. When we repress our emotions, two things happen. First, you deny the emotion. And when you deny energy in motion, you harness what does not want to be harnessed. You literally put resistance around something that isn't looking to be resisted. In fact, I I bet you've seen this before. When someone walks into a room and they're angry and you can feel their anger 
And every part of their facial expressions and body language is sending signals that anger is present. And then you ask them, hey, is everything okay? And with a clenched jaw, they say, yes. Why? I'm fine. That is denying the emotion. Now, many of us are good at denying emotions. Usually, at some point, you felt anger, and some kind of action followed that anger. Maybe you got in trouble for the action, and, and so you unconsciously told yourself anger is bad, and, and feeling anger is wrong. And time and time again, when anger showed up, you denied that it was present, and it makes sense. You didn't want to feel that feeling again when you got in trouble. So you taught yourself to deny the emotion. And lots of times what happens is when we deny emotions, we learn to do the next thing, to stuff the emotion. We push it down. We cover it up. We, we bury it beneath all kinds of other activities. And the problem with stuffing emotions is that it often is like trying to push a beach ball underwater. It pops out somewhere else. I bet you've experienced this before. Perhaps you've experienced the feeling of loneliness in your life. And when that feeling occurred, when you experienced that loneliness, the feeling of sadness and being scared and overwhelmed was present. And instead of allowing yourself to feel that loneliness and invite God to be with you in it, you instead stuffed that loneliness away. Maybe you started to fill that loneliness with all kinds of counterfeit imitations of what you were really longing for in your life. You long for community and connection and instead of seeking it out with others, you just watch people live it out online in what you perceive to be connected lives on social media. Or instead of asking for what you want, you hint at it and you kind of drop these passive aggressive emotional breadcrumbs with the people in your life because naming and saying what you want feels too vulnerable. And stuffing emotions is a way that many of us, we self-protect. We fear that the emotion is bigger than we are, and if we can safely stuff it away, we won't have to deal with it. But denying and stuffing emotions often gets us stuck in an ongoing mental and emotional loop, and many times it causes us to numb our emotions. You see, I, I actually have a friend, and when he was young, his grandmother told him, that men don't cry. And he has spent the better part of his adult life trying to figure out why he runs away from sadness and expressing himself through tears. And my friend is, is working so hard to break that mental and emotional loop that has told him that sadness is not allowed. I have another friend that grew up with a mom that was emotionally overbearing and overwhelming. And to self-protect, they began to numb out with lots of just little escapes to keep from having to feel so much. And now my friend has a very hard time accessing their emotions. And what I know to be true 
about repressing our emotions is that what you resist will always persist. What you resist, it will always persist in your life. When you repress and resist an emotion, it is persistent. Your emotions aren't looking for restraints, they are looking to be released. And when you resist emotion, it secures itself to you and over time, it stops being an emotion and it actually becomes a mood. Anger becomes bitterness. Sadness becomes apathy. Fear becomes anxiety. And moods can last for years, all from e-motion that's just looking to be released in our lives. What you resist will always persist. And I believe God invites us to release our emotions. We see this demonstrated in the life of Joseph that we just looked at. He released his emotions with tears and with wailing and with embracing of his brothers. And there are countless other examples throughout the scriptures. Even our Savior Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested and tried and eventually sentenced to death, he says to his friends in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see, the, the first step to releasing emotion is to name the emotion. Jesus so beautifully names his emotion. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus was about to face death and he chose in that moment to name what he was feeling. Can you just imagine for a moment if the world would actually start naming their fear instead of acting out of their fear? Or naming their anger instead of acting out their anger? Our world would change. And Jesus had no shame. He didn't, he didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to use a, a socially acceptable way of describing his fear. He didn't say, uh, you know, I would just love it if you would sit here with me because I, I have an unspoken prayer request. I, I'm just struggling with a few minor things. Jesus was authentic. He was vulnerable. He named that he was overwhelmed. And I wonder... When was the last time you took a risk like this and you named what was really going on inside of you? You let someone else really see your emotions. You know, so many of us, we resist or we judge, we apologize or avoid, and we look for answers or withhold our feelings. And I wonder if you would be willing this week to just start with naming your emotions. You know, one of the the simple things that I have shifted in my life is I name my emotions by saying, I am feeling, instead of I am. So instead of I'm sad, I say I'm feeling sad. Instead of I'm angry, I say I'm feeling angry. Instead of I'm excited, I say I'm feeling excited. 
And it is a reminder to me that I am experiencing emotion, energy in motion. I am not that emotion. That emotion is just looking for some healthy space to be named and felt. Now once you name that emotion, the next thing you do is you feel the emotion. And I know that probably does not sound very profound, just feel the emotion, but it's what Joseph did with his brothers. It's what Jesus did in the garden. I would encourage you actually to go and read the whole chapter in Matthew 26 this week. And Jesus goes to God in prayer. And he actually prays the same prayer three different times. God, please, please let there be another way. Jesus feels the depth of his emotion and he brings his emotion to the Father and he pleaded with God for another way. And I think that many of us have a tendency to not take the fullness of our emotions to God because we fear we might like freak God out with our emotions. I'm here to tell you there has never been a feeling that has freaked God out. We have a God that feels and he invites us to do the same and bring the fullness of our emotions to him. You know, in the last few weeks, I have hardly had words for the emotions that have been resurfacing in me in light of the ongoing racism that has existed for years but is right now on the center stage in our world. And naming and feeling my feelings has been overwhelming. I watched the video of George Floyd being pinned down on pavement as his arms were handcuffed behind his back. And while he lay there, a white officer held a knee on his throat as three other white officers stood by while George struggled to breathe and eventually suffocated and died. And I will tell you, I felt rage and I felt anger and I felt absolute horror pulse through my body. And instead of repressing and denying and stuffing the emotion away, I long for us to be the kind of community that says no. We will name this. It is racism and it is evil. And there is no neutral when our black and brown brothers and sisters continue to be dispensable and disposable day after day. We have to name it and we have to feel it. To grieve and to mourn and to lament to activate our anger in the direction of justice, to speak up and to speak out, to extend our tables and to widen our doors, to confess our bias and to call out evil as evil. In our world, our world is waiting and it is watching if the people who claim to actually have the light will walk in the light. 
And feelings actually give us a way to respond. You know, when we name them and feel them, God gives us release and healthy resolution to know what to do with them. And I know that the wide array of people watching this are all over the emotional spectrum in their lives right now. But what if we all began to simply practice being a community that names and feels our feelings so that we can do our part in becoming whole and holy? You know, I know that to name and to feel our feelings means you will have to face some of the pain in your life. And said no one ever, I'm just looking to feel some more pain in my life. But what I have come to understand about painful feelings is that pain is actually necessary to becoming who God created us to become. Suffering is what happens when we avoid that pain. And I have prayed with, and I have held space with so many people who are afraid to actually feel their feelings. They worry that if they they actually feel them, that the things that they have learned to repress, that it will take some kind of lid off of the neatly stored emotions within. They don't trust the fear and the rage and and the bitterness and the sadness or the self-doubt that will come spilling out all over the place. And I know, I know that it is messy at times. But I also know what naming and feeling my emotions have done in my life. It has changed my marriage and my parenting. It's changed my leadership. It's changed my friendships. It's given me compassion for others and for their feelings. It's helped me walk away from self-destructive behaviors. It's actually helped me see the puzzle pieces of my past in my present life. It's helped me to develop an authentic respect and love for others without having to change them. I've learned how to ask for what I need and want and prefer and to say it clearly and directly and respectfully. I've learned how to resolve conflict maturely with the ability to hold all of the perspectives in the argument. It's helped me distinguish between sexual desire and lustful desire. It's helped me to grieve the losses in my life. Learning how to feel my feelings and name them has literally transformed my relationship with Jesus. And it has put me on the path to waking up and being both whole and holy. And I believe God is calling us Soul City. The alarm is going off and it is time for us to wake up from our emotional sleepwalking and to live in the light. And so Jesus, we just confess we need you. Help us. We want to be able to name our feelings and feel our feelings just like you modeled it for us. We want to be a light in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.